If you're here for the very first time and you've been invited by a family member or you've been invited by a colleague, a warm welcome to you. We're glad you've decided to join us tonight. I hope you would have seen uh, the topics that we have been discussing in these last few weeks. Our topic for tonight is frustration and uh, God's sovereignty. My name is Reggie and I will be our pilot for tonight. Now you might be wondering why I'm using the word pilot. Uh, don't worry a bit later when you hear one of the stories that will be shared, that will begin to make a little bit more sense. But yeah, warm, welcome to all of you. Let me just uh, pray for us as we begin our evening. And what I'll do straight afterwards is just uh, explain uh, what is the thinking behind uh, the topic. And then I'm gonna introduce um, our interviewee for tonight. I can't say guest because he's part of the family. So let me do that, let me pray for us, and then we'll begin our night together. Our Father, we do pray um, that in the midst of uh, our frustration, in the midst of pain and suffering, uh, that Lord, you would redirect our hearts uh, to your love, uh, that you redirect us to uh, the work of your son on the cross for us, uh, to your goodness, and that even now you are still in charge of the world. And this we do pray that you would do tonight uh, amongst us. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Great. Uh, again, like I, I said a bit earlier, the topic today is frustration and God's sovereignty. And I think before we start, it would be good to just frame our conversation so that we are all on the same page. Now, thinking of the idea of, uh, of frustration, all of us get frustrated by too many things that happen in our life. Uh, we feel like we, we, at those times when we feel like we've lost control of either of our health or our finances, or, or we're not sure what is going on with the world or with our government or anything of that sort. So to begin our conversation, I thought it would be great to actually listen to uh, an exposition or explanation of, of, of a particular passage of scripture that will really help us so that we, are, we have the gospel as the forefront, at the forefront of our thinking. Uh, as we spend our time together. So let me just read for you a quote of uh, an author who explains Romans 9 to 13, verse 1 and 2, in a book called Reading While Black. So reading the Bible while black, uh, the author is called Esau Macaulay. I can put down his name a little bit later. Listen to what he says about uh, Romans 9 to 13, verse 1 and 2, especially verse 1 and 2. In this section, he really wants us to see, uh, or well, he points out that one of the overriding themes is God's sovereignty and our limited discernment of what is going on in the world. Listen to what he says. I'll put down the quote so that you guys are able to follow with me while I'll just put it on the, on the chat section. And I'll read it for us afterwards. And then thereafter, I'm gonna to get, I'm gonna introduce our guest, as I said. Listen to what he says. He says here, I maintain then that we read Romans 13 verse one and two. Uh, this includes even from chapter nine all the way uh, to 13 as a statement about God's sovereignty and the limits of human discernment. We cannot as humans claim divine sanction for the proper timing and method of solving the problems we discern. Now the italics are my words there. Our comfort doesn't come from knowing and controlling the events of, of our lives, but from, back to the quote, but from knowing we do not worship a God who sits apart, 
but one who enters human pain, frustration, and suffering, and redeems it from within. The Christian is not given a series of deductive proofs that solve the problem of evil to our satisfaction. Rather, we are given an act of love that woos us. And we know that this wooing isn't a false promise because the resurrection proves that God is sovereign over life and death. This is really great news uh, for us as Christians to hear. And so tonight as we spend our time, I think we need to know that um, in the times of when we, um, in our limited discernment, of when we can't clearly see what is going on in the world, what God is doing in our life, especially when we are going through pain. And at those times when we feel like we've lost control of our lives, our health, our finances, and our ability to even trust uh, those whom God has set over us, and this is the leaders of our country and so on. Um, at those times when we feel like we've, lo we've lost control and they've become frustrated, I think it would be good for us to be, to be reminded as we will today that we should re redirect our hearts and minds to this God who has entered our human pain and frustration and is redeeming it and at this moment sits on the throne. I think right now then would be just about a good time for me to uh, introduce our, uh, our interviewee tonight. His name is Rangani. He is um, part of our church here, a part of our redeemed family. He's a father, uh, he's a husband, and he's the managing director of Shapu Chedded Accountants. Now, before we start, I've asked him to just uh, share um, on how he became a Christian. And then I'll introduce the very first uh, section of our, of, our, of our conversation today. Rangani, over to you. As Reggie has said, my name is Rangani Mbalati. So just a brief in terms of how I became a Christian. So I grew up in a, a village called Begasdorp on the R36 in Limpompo Tsanin. So um, in the community which I grew uh, up around, I believe everyone um, considered themselves to be Christian. So I think even now majority of people automatically believe that they are Christian. So having grown up there, um, I attended church from the early age, um, uh, which was not really the church that uh, my mother was going to. I was attending the church of the Nazarene, I think from the time I was 10 with my sister who's two years older than me. So we attended um, Sunday school, they had a very good uh, Sunday school. The, the church of the Nazarene, uh, it, it's an international church, I believe it started somewhere in North America which identifies as a evangelical uh, Christian church. So um, for my, all my, my um, early days, I, I was attending the church and I attended uh, the, the SCO at the school as well. Uh, I then went to, 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 to varsity. I still continued uh, at varsity. I was attending his people. Up until then, I started working and moved to Houting. I attended Christchurch Midland. So there was not necessarily a particular point in my life when I said I became a Christian. I just grew up identifying as a Christian, but if obviously growing in faith, in understanding from the days when I just normally just went to church because uh, I had to go to church. Thank you. Mm, mm. Uh, it's great to hear Rani, your story there. Uh, about just how God worked uh, throughout your life to, to bring you to him. Now, as we talk about frustration tonight, I thought the very first thing to really think about is frustration uh, 
with, um, with leadership, uh, as you would have seen in the title. And we've just narrowed it down to frustration with leadership uh, of our country. Um, we've had the lockdown, and I think people have had uh, different views on just uh, how they felt about that. Uh, and Rangani, just the very first question I want to ask you is, um, what has frustrated you with regards to the lockdown, the regulations, and just the overall leadership of our country? I actually uh, and honestly believe that the, the lockdown would have actually affected everyone's way of thinking or in terms of the way they plan their lives. So I think for, for me, it, there were a lot of practical, practicalities about the, the frustrations that came with, with that. And from a personal perspective, as a start, um, uh, 2019, I didn't work most of the time. I had a, a daughter with, which was, was born with a, a condition. I, I think they call it hydrocephalus, um, bleeding in the brain. So I, I, I had actually big, big plans for the year. I said 2020, it's my year. So I'm looking forward to recovering from what I would have gone through in, in 2020, sorry, I thought 2020 is my year, to recover from what I've gone through in, in 2019. Um, then as the start of the year, then, you know, uh, the, the issue of the COVID happens and all of a sudden you have a lot of commitments in terms of, you know, um, uh, cost and expenditures and plans to, to actually recover from what, what I would have considered to be a bad year. Um, and, and honestly, in, in my talk, I, I said to my wife to say most of the time that I don't think we would have would experience another year, bad year like 2019. That's what I thought would have been the, the worst year, spending most of the time in hospital. But 2020 became something else that, you know, uh, came in a different format as well. But from also in terms of business-wise as well, um, one of the plans that we, we just started was to move offices from the one office to the next. So we're busy renovating. So we spent a lot of money uh, uh, renovating this new office we're moving to just two weeks before we're supposed to move and, and then the lockdown happens. Uh, the uncertainty then became such a big issue in, with regard to um, looking at the historic nature in which our government maybe communicates and, and how the government does things. You, you then become lost in the process to say, look, um, I don't know whether they will handle this the best way they could. So there were a lot of challenges to say, can I really trust that whatever the government is, is, is saying in terms of the lockdown, is it the reality or are they, from my perspective, being in finance, I thought, well, maybe it's an opportunity to relax the, 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 the supply chain processes the formal processes so that people could actually take advantage of, um, you know, procurement without necessarily following processes. Because once you are in a, a state of disaster, uh, whatever they, they would have declared, you, you then realize that the processes will not go as formal as they should be. There will be a lot of relaxation within the, the controls in the country. So there was just um, mainly a lot of uncertainties and lack of trust really in the leadership to say, uh, can I trust these guys to act on the behalf, on the best uh, best interest of us as a nation, or can we actually, you know, can they actually understand the situation and act to the best interest of 
of, of, of everyone, or they will continue in their selfish uh, ways in terms of how they will work. So then um, you have uh, obviously um, a cost that you have to pay, and there are a lot of other things obviously in terms of day-to-day -day that will not necessarily stop. And you would understand as a SME or small business, you already have your own frustrations because source of funding or um, you know day-to-day -day operation dealing with stuff there's just a lot when you are in a SME that you need to manage. And now you also have to deal with the issue of um, the, the regulations that have been brought into place and all of a sudden having to change the way of working and having to really adjust to the new ways of doing things. It, it, was, it was just quite a lot to actually, uh, you know, uh, have um, to, 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 to digest at one place and to, to change the ways of working and the way of, of living. Mm. Mm. And uh, thanks for that, brother. And, and I mean, uh, so I've seen that with uh, your, your company, you also work with uh, um, municipality, uh, municipalities providing um, uh, advice in one sense. Um, I mean, it sounds like you're someone who knows uh, uh, what happens with, uh, with the leadership of the country in part. So my, my next question to you would be, um, have you seen God's common goodness, uh, his, his sovereignty, uh, and some of the good uh, that the leadership of our country has done? Because I'm quite sure there isn't just bad things that we can point out, we can point to. No, thanks for that. Um, I think the, um, the fortunate part about me personally, I, I really try to, to look good for a good in everything. So um, in fact, in, in being an auditor, I've been told before that um, you are, you, you, I, I would like people not necessarily believing that I'm such a good auditor because I do tend to trust people. So when the president first gave his speech uh, in terms of the lockdown, so I, I start by, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt to say, um, I believe they mean well um, in terms of what they are trying to do. But again, um, because of that, um, and, and also the experiences that I would have came from in my own life, um, the, um, um, I, my thinking is always also about to say, look, this is um, the situation that I'm in. I'll pray for the best, but I always say, look, be, be, beyond my best is also the, the most important part is God's will. So I wish for the best in the situation, and I hope that, uh, and, and praying for the, for the leadership to say that things could get better. But at the same time, um, I, I was in that position where even the conversations we have with my wife from the past experience to say, we want the best, but if the best doesn't work, as long as God's will is actually done. So that actually helps me to, um, you know, to, 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 to be in a position where I realize that the goodness of God will not go away just because of the challenges that we're facing, either because of the lockdown or, or the COVID-19. So I was um, having that peace of mind to say that irrespective of how things go, as long as God's will will still be, you know, be, be, be ruling, then uh, let, let whatever happens uh, uh, happen. Mm, mm. That's a brilliant quote right there. The goodness of God never goes away, uh, even in our frustration or difficulty. And this is something we can definitely hold on to. Um, I was going to ask you the next question, which just now sounds like you have answered it, in that it is this goodness of God that helps us in our frustration. Now, I'll come back to Rangani uh, to simply ask him a little bit later. 
um, especially frustrations regarding finances. You've heard uh, that uh, he runs a business. So we really want to hear his story and hear how the gospel has actually been helping has been able to help him uh, uh, through that very situation. Right now we'll play a story, um, um, as you would have seen in these last few weeks, uh, a testimony of someone who's part of our redeemed family. Uh, the guy is actually right here. Um, uh, and in this story, I want you to just listen to uh, how over and again he points out to God's sovereignty uh, and how God's sovereignty has led uh, and his goodness uh, has led to him being uh, quite content in God. It links in very well to what we're talking about today. And um, uh, oh, please also listen out to just his mention of how uh, our redeemed family, uh, how God has actually used our redeemed family to help him uh, to actually find contentment in him. So I'll play the story right now and just listen out for it. Hello church family, uh, so Kate told us we need to share something of how our story relates to the story of Jesus, that I should try not produce a sermon and that it makes for much better viewing if Sue is with me. So just some background, uh, Sue and I have been married for eight years now, yeah. eight years, and we have a beautiful girl cat slash dog and are planning to have many more cats before we get too old. Many, many, many more cats. So Sue and I came to know Christ in a very real and personal way at uh, Christ Church Midrand. And although this has had a pr profound effect on many aspects of our life, including even being able to sit here as a, as a married couple, one shift that I have noticed in us is to be more content with the situation God has placed us in with a little less chasing after the wind. Yeah, so uh, in some of our social circles and also in our daily life, there's this constant sense of trying to find heaven on earth now. So maybe that's the perfect job where every day you go to the office, it's an absolute joy. So to be honest, it's something we still struggle with, um, but our faith has definitely helped us, helped us not to get too caught up in the narrative. So. Um, we realize that we're on the wrong side of heaven now and um, that there is joy still to be found but that we're usually looking in the wrong places. Uh, thinking about the person of Jesus and this comes through quite clearly when you read the Gospels was his sense of calmness uh, the way he interacted with people and how he conducted himself was with a peace that I think could only come from having a kingdom perspective. Now, although I'm not the Messiah, despite my mother telling you otherwise, <laughs> trying to live as Jesus did in, a, in the light of eternity changes everything. It takes away that gnawing anxiety of trying to do everything, to see everything, experience everything right here and now. Added to this, Jesus seemed to give little attention to his external personal circumstances, being completely focused on the people he met. Certainly Sue and I are massively blessed to have the people we do have in our lives and this become, continues to become increasingly important to us. 
So on that note, not being able to see people during the early part of lockdown was probably the hardest part of this past season. Uh, fortunately, we could uh, start seeing people at level four, I think it was. Anyway, as we sit here now, we are grateful to have some sense of normality returning. So on that note, uh, we miss you all and we are looking forward to the day we can give you a, a big embrace. Yes, which I warn you in advance will probably happen long before you're ready uh, for that big embrace if Gab has anything to do with it. See you when we see you. A great testimony here from Gavin Sue. Um, and I really do hope you picked up just uh, the goodness of God from it and as well how our redeemed family. How we see actually the goodness of God even through our redeemed uh, family. Uh, awesome. <laughs> I see a lot of thumbs up. Um, now, just to continue in our conversation, um, I'm going to ask Rangani, whom I mentioned a bit earlier, actually runs a, a business uh, called Shapo Chetted Accountants. I'm just going to ask him now just frustrations related to, to finances uh, during this time of the lockdown. And again, how God has been able to help him uh, uh, through this time. Um, so, uh, Rangani, um, I mean, what is... What have been some of your financial concerns and struggles um, as a business owner, as a, as, a, as a father of a family uh, during this time? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things that would have been, that, have, that would have frustrated you uh, at this time. So just, uh, can you just elaborate to us what your concerns have been? Thank you. Um, yeah, um, as a SME, the, one of the biggest disadvantages is we, we don't have reserves that much to sustain you for a longer period. So if you are faced with a situation where you have to go for four months without collecting money, um, it's, it's quite a, a big challenge to, 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 to myself. And um, I, at the time before we go to lockdown, I had 11 people that I employ on a full-time basis. So the biggest issue was not necessarily to think of myself, but to also consider the people that I, I work with. So we're having to go through some of the promises that would have been provided by government to say there's this particular funding that you can apply and to realize that, that what is being said in the public and the processes you try to go through, is not really the same. You know, when you try to apply, you still be told that you are not, um, they, they look at maybe your bank account to say, we do not think you qualify for this or, or for that while you are trying to, 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 to create an income maybe that will, 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 will fund the operating cost. So, I mean, we, as a business, we have to be paying the rent. You continue to pay, actually, let's say, all your service providers, the internet service provider and everything. Most of those did not stop. And, and even when I thought that probably they, they could be a way to run away from are paying certain things, more especially maybe your employees, you might say, we're not receiving income, but you have to be considerate, more especially as a Christian. It's so difficult to really look at someone not being able to pay rent while they actually work for you. So finances were actually the biggest uh, issue. And I mean, from my perspective, as personally as well, you, I have uh, kids who are supposed to go to school or crash, they're no longer going, but you still uh, have an obligation 
to actually fund those. So I might say that they, they, they were, there were quite a lot of, of, of struggles um, around that. But again, they honestly, I think the honesty was actually good, especially when dealing with the people that you need to pay. So from my side, I always believe that it's best to communicate to the people you're supposed to pay before they communicate to you. So if we have challenges um, to pay staff, I need to be very upfront, not envy for the particular months, but maybe for the months uh, to come, I, I would have issued some communique to the staff to say, um, we might have challenges in the two months to come, but obviously not talking to the current. So, uh, and again, we had to even let go, I think let go of two people, close one, uh, you know, department, uh, when we realized, I think it was around June, when we saw it was no longer that, that, that feasible. It was not the, the, the easiest of the option to take, considering the, the, the fact that laying off people at the time, they cannot, they would not be able to sustain themselves. But again, we tried to be considerate uh, from my side, even though that we, we lay off, we were able to say, even when you are off work, we'll be able to pay you at least for three months so that you are able to look for a job. But um, the overall, the experience was not uh, so good. Um, there were a lot of um, uh, 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 challenges to deal with, but we are grateful that despite all those challenges, we're still able to, to come back to, to, to business and, and operate as usual. And again, from a family perspective as well, um, we could still have the meal to eat throughout the, the process, which is what we're grateful for. And, and even our employees did not suffer as as that bad, um, you know, through, throughout the process. The worst would have done was to cut 25% of their salaries, which I think they were understanding as well. Mm, mm, mm. And I mean, it, as you're describing this, it does sound like uh, it, it was quite a frustrating situation. So what, what held you together? Um, uh, how did the, the gospel just uh, help you through this time? Or how is it helping you even now? Besides that, for me, I, I think the main thing that um, probably when I look to the gospel is being able to bring myself as a end to everyone that I, I relate to. So without necessarily uh, having any guilty feeling of saying that I've, I'm, I've done anything wrong. So with um, uh, referring to the gospel, knowing that I'm, 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 I'm not a perfect individual, however, I have nothing to really hide. So when you deal with people, even though you have you are having these uncertainties, I then realize for myself that look, I do not actually have anything to to hide. Um, what people actually see and what I communicate is the reality of what is actually happening. And again, uh, knowing that the the positions or the the issue of finances, I do not really in 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 all uh, my my life I do not allow that to to really be a reflection of me. So those do create a position for me where I do understand my life outside. I identify with my, my, my life outside actually finances, even though I am frustrated, I have that peace of mind to know that I do not have anything to, to really prove or to hide. So I'm trying to, to live the, the most outright life that I can actually live and being the honest person that I am and again, communicate with the people that I need to communicate to. So I actually have a peace of mind as well, going to sleep, knowing that I'm not actually living a, a particular life that probably is disadvantaging uh, other people. 
So then the, 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 the one thing that's very important to mention, um, my wife, uh, despite all of it, I think having a good wife is actually key as well because she never put me under pressure um, uh, in any way or we never put each other under pressure. So we, we sort of have an open communication and we fully understand uh, you know, the, the surroundings around the family. So that was one of the most uh, grateful um, like gift that I could be thankful to God to, to say, look, despite uh, all, when you are having all these uncertainties, you have a supportive partner who really understand what you go through. And if we have to say, um, cut on anything that is not necessary, we are able to do so without feeling any, any pressure at all as, as a unit. Mm, mm, mm. Amen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially the part about the wife. <laughs> um, any particular passages of scripture uh, that speaks just on God's provision um, that have just uh, set in your heart at this time uh, that God has used to just speak to you at this particular time? I'm reminded of the prayer. It's in Matthew towards the end when, when Jesus um, was actually about to be crucified. Um, his, his prayer, uh, it was a, the, the, the trying time, and I believe that uh, what, what Jesus uh, would have said, I may not quote it directly, he said that um, if it was up to God, he could actually save him from the situation. However, um, uh, God's will should actually be done because he understood that God's will was, was much more important. Um, I'm, I'm getting comfort from this particular scripture especially, um, you know, through, and, and I would indicate again that in, in, 20, in, in, in 2019, I thought that the, the, the was, I was going through the, the worst period of my life. But um, when, when we kept talking about this particular scripture with my wife, we then realized that, look, we, we are in a fortunate position whereby uh, we may have our own wishes of comfort and, and this and that, uh, but at the end of the day, whatever God's will is, it's much more important than our own wishes. So that for me, it creates a comfort at all times to say, look, I wish for the best. I pray for the good. However, it, when things do not go my way, it's not the end of the road. Well, as long as God knows what his will is uh, with regard to my life, that gives us enough comfort. Mm, mm, amen. Amen. And just to add, um, just that phrase from a bit earlier, uh, we, in the Bible, we are reminded that we have a God who's, who's entered our pain uh, and our frustration and is actually redeeming it. Uh, uh, so that's, and sits on the throne at the moment. So that's something we should always just uh, remember. And uh, I'm sure there are many other passages in scripture that many of you would think of uh, when it relates to God's provision. But thank you, Rangani, there, just, just reminding us to, to always... Uh, be saying, God, let, let your will be done. Um, but now the last thing I really want uh, to just think through with you is, as Christians, we know that um, uh, God's sovereignty and trusting in God's sovereignty um, also involves uh, him using us uh, to, 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 to care for others, uh, especially those who are, who are marginalized or, or less fortunate than us. Um, what ways do you think we, we should consider to do that? Despite our frustration, uh, despite feeling like we have, we're feeling a bit of a financial pinch uh, in our life, we've got so many things that we're struggling with at the moment. Um, 
what kind of things could we be doing to help others who are struggling more than we are? And, and I really think this would be a great reflection of trusting in the provision of God, that despite your own financial struggles, that you do something to care for others. Well, what, what things could we do? And then what things have you done? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, um, actually, just now when I, I was coming home, someone was dropping me and, and we're talking, um, the person just asked the question about the person who's doing the garden here at my house. And I indicated something that, because he was just saying that in these situations, wouldn't it be better to do your garden? And I, 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 the question, I, the answer for me was simple to say, sometimes when we, as much as there are certain things we must do, we must also just ask ourselves that, there is someone who actually really rely on that 200 rand that I give him to actually cut the grass, as an example. So I I I, I use those practical examples sometimes to say um, it's easier for me to buy a clipper to say I can cut my own hair. But if I've got the 20 rand or the 50 rand that I can think of the guy who's actually running that type of a business as a way of supporting him, not necessarily considering you know thinking more about myself to say, how can I actually contribute? So personally, um, I try to, to assist people even freely within just giving a, a basic, what, what I would normally consider to be a basic, you know, financial literacy to, 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 to other people. And I'm so surprised at how people think it's smart and, you know, you, you, you are actually guiding them. Like they consider that to be something valuable to them. However, normally it would have been a knowledge that to me, I would have thought that it's it's common to everyone, but then you realize as as you communicate with people, just sometimes it does not necessarily take money to actually you know help others. Just sharing something from your profession that is practical to others, it actually people actually appreciate that and they do take that um, uh, uh, seriously. In in one of the of, of the talks that uh, we had before, I did speak about you know. Um, supporting let's say township economy where you are looking at the people within the township who are offering certain services but they are not able to be as marketable as a big corporate so that obviously doesn't only apply to to, to, to township but it applies to any form of business where we can actually support the person in the next door who instead of necessarily going to the big corporate there will be those type of of of, of environments either buying veggies or, or something like that. But again, there are a lot of practical ways to actually assist. And I do also think when you hire employees, um, before obviously you consider even, uh, you know, cutting down the employees, one of the considerations is always to think that you're looking at uh, probably how many actually uh, heads you might actually be feeding through having that particular person who is actually assisting you with something and then you are able to assist them thereby, you know, assisting their their families as well so there's lots of practicalities in terms of how you know we, we, we can actually go about that um, just one last example I recently I, I met a person who is doing the the um, is doing this um, what we call it recycling um, his struggles was that he didn't have a laptop and FNB wanted to assist him put him some software um, and I, I realized that I have a laptop in the office that was we considered to be old. And yesterday, just yesterday, when I sent him a WhatsApp to say, how's the laptop? He said me, to me it was a very good laptop. 
to me, it would have been seen to be something that is a write-off. So there are a lot of practical ways where obviously we are able to reach out to people. And in most instances, it will seem that it's a small thing to, to me. So they said something that to me, because maybe I think in technology I'm more advanced, I have something that I feel like I'm keeping in the garage because it's not as useful. But then you do realize that if it reaches the hands of certain individuals, then it might actually help to, to change their lives. Mm, mm. Thank you for thank you for that, Jangani. Uh, it's amazing how even in our frustration and our struggles, that uh, us reaching out to love and care for those around us, um, they can see in those very moments that uh, we are not trusting in either in our finances, we're not trusting in our health, or whatever it is, but we're trusting in God. Uh, it's amazing how those little acts show where our hearts are. And I think that's, that's how we show as Christians as well, that we're trusting in God's sovereignty. Thank you, Rangani, for that. What we will do now is play a video uh, of Jason, who might ask to actually join us, uh, but he was unable to. So what he did is he recorded a video for us. Now, I will not play the entire video. I've just um, uh, cut uh, the video. If you want the, the whole video, please, uh, I'll uh, you can ask me to send it to you. I'll put down my email there. One of the things that Jason does very well in telling his story is in a similar way to show us that uh, despite the frustration of the injury he's gone through, um, he, he was able to see God's goodness. And again, the way he saw God's goodness and sovereignty in his life was through a redeemed family. And, and this is great to hear that as we hear all of these stories, we see how God is using our church to actually care for people, even in times of frustration in their life. So let me just play the video. Um, and straight afterwards, I'm gonna, I'm just, uh, I'm gonna open the way for Rodin to come bring God's word uh, to us. Um, I'm the guy that most of you would have seen come winter or summer in shorts with a knee brace and uh, on and off of crutches or a single crutch. Um, what most of you won't realize is actually just the, the journey uh, of what's happened um, and why. Uh, over two and a half years ago, uh, working towards my commercial pilot license, uh, a dream I'd had f since young, since I told my grade one teacher I wanted to be a pirate, and she was very um, concerned and asked my parents to please explain what type of TV I was watching at the time. Little did they realize that the, the pirate was the one who flew the aircraft. I hadn't, I just heard pirate, not pilot. But anyhow, I digress. Um, so going back, uh, I was working towards my commercial pilot license. Um, I'd returned from 15 years in the United Kingdom. And a commercial pilot was a good, good career choice for myself. And uh, one Monday morning, while I was going to fly, drainage grids for uh, fuel collapsed on me. And what began was over two and a half years of pain and suffering. And yes, that has culminated in myself having, in effect, a life-changing, career-ending injury. So just after this injury occurred uh, in April, I obviously went off to the hospital that day and went and had what I thought would just be a simple x-ray, 
at a few stitches. But it transpired that the damage was far more severe. Um, I was wrapped from, from ankle to, to hip in a combination of bandages, which is incredibly uncomfortable. Um, I had to see a specialist, which took two weeks. Um, in the meantime, I had very little pain. Uh, I, I do know, I have been told that I've got a very pain, high pain threshold. But I was still able to go to the Huntex show and, and, and get about. Um, not, not as normal on crutches, but I, I still had a sense of mobility and, and hope that uh, it might just be some physio and you know six weeks, eight weeks, and I'm back to flying. Um, sadly, I was hugely mistaken. Upon seeing the, the, the specialist and having uh, MRI scans, uh, the true nature of the injury became apparent, and what was required was quite comprehensive knee surgery. I think the best description I can give you is I have four severe knee injuries in one. Um, and the first injury, the first surgery proved that because I spent six weeks in bed unable to move. I had a, a very unique brace from, from ankle to hip now. And I suffered for those six weeks. Um, I'm not one who likes to take painkillers, but I, I must say I, I did take painkillers. And even during that period, I, mean, I, I was very blessed. Um, my wife took amazing care of me. Um, I, I know she felt she felt like she just wanted to do more and more, but that physically wasn't possible. Uh, my mother, father, and brother would would call me constantly and actually keep my spirits up. And I think that was incredibly important at that time because my entire future had suddenly just exploded in front of me. Um, my father-in-law, mother-in-law were such a blessing to me at the same time. My mother-in-law would call me every single day to chat. And sometimes we would chat for 10 minutes and sometimes we would chat for one hour. And my father-in-law would come over and he would feed me lunch and take care of and help me with our two very new little horsey sausage dogs that we had just got. Um, they were at that stage about four weeks since we had got them and they were about 10 or so weeks old. Um, and yes, I, I was just so blessed with this family around me. And at the same time, we were actually going through the PTS course at Martin. And I honestly felt so bad because you had Kate and Martin and Black and Gareth and, and so many people who gave up their time to teach us, yet I wasn't able to attend. I had said yes, and now suddenly... I'm sitting home in bed with my leg up. That was my, my opinion. And in my opinion, if you say something, you do it. So I was feeling terrible from that. I was in pain. My career and my future just evaporated. And everyone around me was doing their utmost to help me. And that was chewing into my independence. Uh, I'd spent you know, 15 years abroad and having to be independent to survive. There wasn't a, another way to put it. And now suddenly you have this injury. And I have six weeks of pain where 
getting up from the bed feels like I've been shot in the leg. And then so. I eventually, when I, I could actually make it after that time to, to the lounge, wow, what an achievement. I just, I just climbed Everest. And it was those little steps that helped. But at the same time, my career just evolved, dissolved in front of me. And I think I was going through a roller coaster of emotions. When I could get to PTS and I could actually honor my promise that I'd made, I would go and I'd keep a very brave face. Um, my leg was that bad that I couldn't sit in the front of a car, I had to actually sit in the back of the car with my leg straight. And the Lord showed me so many amazing people. There were so many people who just wanted to help. Um, uh, one, Kelvin stands out. I mean, every time we had finished our meal before the course would start, he would steal my plate away. Absolutely gone. Quick. Tuff, gone. Goodbye. And he would come back with this warm smile. And if you know Kelvin, you know the smile I'm talking about. And just say, right, what can I get you? What more can I do to help you? And it very, very much humbled me that. And other people were just as kind. I mean, everyone there was absolutely amazing. Uh, I remember every time when we were having to leave, I would always look at the floor and, and f several people would come help and help me with the chair and put my leg down and you know, give me that space just to, to be able to stand up. I do hope you were encouraged by um, Jason's story there, especially how as well. He reminds us how we see God's goodness um, through our redeemed family, through the people around us. And really in all the stories uh, that you would have heard today from Rangani, from Gavin, even from Jason, I hope this, this is what stuck uh, in your head, that you would have heard that, that um, we see God's goodness, we see sovereignty, and not, not only through the scriptures, but through how he uses the people around us. Uh, so in our time of frustration, let's remember to look to him. I'm just gonna let, uh, um, uh, Rodin uh, take over now because he's bringing God's word to us. Thanks, Rich, and thanks, Rangani, for encouraging us a little bit earlier. That was wonderful. Uh, Jason, I don't think is with us, but I will thank him the next time I see him. So folks, uh, frustration, um, I think when we think about frustration, we can think of it in terms of levels. So it's obviously an ordinary everyday part of our lives. You know, there's the dripping tap, um, bumping your head on the cupboard that your spouse has left open again. Uh, the pothole that's been there for 18 months. Um, Zoom, Zoom has become an endless source of frustration. Uh, so fairly trivial things, but they wear on our nerves. And then there's a deeper level of frustration, the kinds of things that Rangani was sharing with us, uh, the kinds of things that we've been experiencing, all of us, uh, during lockdown. So for instance, 20,000 people laid off by EdCon, which was once the darling of the JSC. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum, we have the Christchurch Cafe closing, and we had to lay off four people, four people that had become dearly uh, beloved to us, uh, or families who depended on us for their livelihoods. Trinity College, a Christian school just up the road from us, has had to close its doors uh, because it simply cannot make ends meet. 
many of you on this call would have faced either retrenchment or reduced hours or reduced income. And it's so frustrating because what we're talking about are hardworking people who are just trying to provide for their families. We had a testimony of that this evening. So that's a deeper level of frustration. And then of course, there's a, there's a level of frustration that runs even deeper. A little over, just over 17,000 South Africans have died from COVID-19 at the latest counts. That's 17,000 individuals, 17,000 lives that have ground to a halt. 17,000 voices that will never be heard again. And with each death, the world has lost an absolutely unique temperament, unique sense of humor, unique cluster of friendships, unique catalog of memories. That is a deep frustration. It's the kind that doesn't know whether to scream or cry. It's the kind that asks why. What is it all for? It's interesting, the biblical word translated frustration, Gavin actually used it a little bit earlier, can, can also be translated futility or vanity or that expression he used, a chasing after the wind. In other words, when we come to the Bible, at its bottom, frustration cries out, what is the point of all of this? It's a deep ache in the soul. And if we are honest, it affects all of us from time to time, especially at a time like this. We have real questions. Where does this frustration come from? What's the solution? Our culture actually offers us a whole range of answers. So we'll just look at a few of them to, to get a flavor. The material answer, the spiritual answer, and the practical answer. So the material answer, the material story, says that frustration is a chemical byproduct of a biological system built for survival. If frustration leads to persistence, it has adaptive value, and then it, therefore it serves survival. If it doesn't lead to persistence, it also serves survival because the weak die off and the strong survive. So in the material story, the origin and meaning of frustration is purely biological. Your feeling, that soul ache, is just a chemical mirage. The spiritual story takes uh, different forms. They're different brands. So there's the Eastern brand, the Western brand, the African brand. Sometimes, of course, they blend. Uh, but let's look at the African variety. It, it goes something like this. The world is a dangerous place. It's also a place filled with spiritual power. That power can be harnessed for good or for evil. If you are frustrated, it may be that it has been harnessed for evil against you. Or it may be that you need help to harness that power for good or to return to sender. And so you consult those closest to you who have access to the power. So that's your ancestors, your forefathers, those who have passed into the spiritual realm. You ask them to help you deal with the source of frustration. That's the spiritual story. The practical story says, listen, keep all your talk, keep your hocus pocus. If it's broken, fix it. Make a plan. Get it done. Stop whining and get on with it. If you're feeling down, go to therapy. Get some medication. Do what you need to do so that we can all carry on with life. When it comes to dealing with frustration, I think those are the best, the most popular options in our cultural marketplace. The material, the spiritual, and the practical. Let me suggest to you that there's one more that we need to take very seriously, and that's the biblical. 
the biblical story says that the reason we feel frustrated is that we are very conscious of the fact that things can and should be better. Where does that consciousness come from? Well, on the biblical story, at the bottom, whether we admit it or not, that consciousness is an awareness of a God who is perfect and who made all things good. So just think about this with me. On the material view, we have no reason to expect things should be better than they are. They just are. Things are a product of matter plus time plus chance. There is no better or worse. There is no right or wrong. There's only chemistry. You cannot attach moral value to a chemical reaction. But then we do feel this deep soul ache. If things just are, how do we account for that? The Bible points out that when we are frustrated, it's because we know that things should be better. And that feeling is a distant echo of a time, a bygone era when they were better. Or it's a, just a hint, a foretaste of a time when we'll things will be better in the future. It's the idea of perfection. And again, we need to think about this. We don't see or experience perfection anywhere in our human existence. We just don't encounter it. But the idea has to come from somewhere because nothing comes from nothing. The Bible teaches us that that idea is a consciousness of a perfect being who made us to enjoy his perfection. And yet, again, that's not our experience. We don't enjoy this perfect existence. We live in this world with all its frustrations, with all its frustrating imperfection. Why? Because we choose to. When our ancestors first made that choice, the choice that says, I don't want this perfect God interfering in my life, a choice we repeat every single day. When they first made that choice, they separated us from the source of perfection. When they made that choice, reality cracked. And that crack spread and it touched every aspect of life in this universe. Imperfection and frustration entered in. And so this life is like looking through a window shot through with cracks. You can see light and color and movement on the other side. You can see, you can discern that there's beauty on the other side, but you just can't access it because of the cracks. We have cracked our relationship with God. That is the origin of frustration in the biblical story. What's the solution? Well, we abandon God, so by rights, he has every reason to abandon us, but he doesn't. He doesn't. This series has been all about personal stories, so let me try and illustrate this uh, with a personal story. In the Bible, there's the record of a young man called Joseph. You may know him from his dream coach in the musical. That has very little to do with him, by the way, but um, it's a start. You may also know that he was a precocious brat. His, he was his father's favorite, and he would use that against his brothers. He would provoke them with it. He would rub their noses in it. And so, of course, they hated him. And eventually, uh, one day, they had an opportunity to act on that hatred, and they took him. They stripped him naked. They humiliated him. They beat him. They threw him in a hole in the desert. 
And while they were deciding how to kill him, along came some slave traders. And they thought to themselves, why kill the boy when we can make a little pocket money? And so they sold him for so many pieces of silver and went back home and told his father that he had been ripped limb from limb by wild animals. It's pure evil. And yet things only get worse for Joseph. The traders then sell him on to an Egyptian slave master and his wife tries to seduce Joseph. When Joseph won't play along, she publicly accuses him of rape and then has him thrown into prison. So let's just recap. Joseph has gone down into a hole in the desert and then he's gone down to slavery in Egypt and then he's gone down from there further into an Egyptian prison. It is a spiral down into the depths of meaningless frustration and pain and it lasted for over a decade. At some point during that time, he must have asked the question, why? Does this miserable existence of mine mean anything? Does it count for anything? Or is it just arbitrary pain? And we would have sympathy with him asking that question. And yet, when Joseph is at his absolute lowest, we read these strangest of words. And the Lord was with Joseph. I mean, they sound completely out of place. It's, it seems like the opposite must be true. If there is a God, and if he is good, then when we look at Joseph chained in a box in the desert, the Egyptian desert, we have to conclude, and the Lord abandoned Joseph. But that's not what we read. We are with Joseph at his rape trial. We are, we are with him in prison. And then we read, the Lord was with Joseph. It makes absolutely no sense. But by the end of the story, we understand. By the end of the story, Joseph exits prison and he is exalted to the highest position in government. And he ends up as savior of the whole world. He uses all that power and influence to avert disaster caused by famine. At the end of the story, Joseph is also reconciled to his family and, and they're busy at a family lechotla trying to process everything that's happened, trying to understand it all. And Joseph sums it up like this. This is what he says. You, my brothers, intended this for evil. But God intended it for good. You intended it for evil. But God intended it for good. So we know two things. Human evil was the source of Joseph's frustration. His own sin, the sin of his brother's. But God was with him in that frustration, in that evil, turning it to good for the salvation of the whole world. Here is a God powerful enough to turn evil to good and good enough to do it, good enough to want to do it. Now, I told you that story to tell you this one. The cycle of God turning human evil to good continues in the Bible over and over and over again. It repeats, rolling through the centuries until finally it lands in these verses. Let me just read them for you. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs 
that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In the Bible, what I've just read is the centerpiece of all of history, the very center of human history, the cross of Christ. On the cross, with the crucifixion of Jesus, humanity did its absolute worst. You know, if, if we take Jesus at his claims, if his claims about himself were true, then on that cross, humanity murdered God. That is the very bottom, the very pits of frustration and evil. Imagine, imagine being a follower of Jesus and standing there looking up at that cross. You are sure this is the greatest, kindest, most compassionate man who ever lived. And here he is, sold by his brothers for so many pieces of silver, stripped naked and beaten and humiliated and left to die. That scene is the dark heart of futility and vanity and meaningless frustration that is the human condition. And yet, God turned this moment of deepest evil into the moment of humanity's greatest good. The cross was our lowest moment, and yet God turned it into our highest moment. It looked like the con condemnation of humanity, and yet it was our salvation. It looked like the defeat of God, and yet it was the precise moment of his victory. Jesus dived down into the crude oil of our sin, and he went to the very bottom, and yet he surfaced again. He overcame human evil and death, the two greatest sources of our frustration. He overcame them. And he did it out of pure, selfless love. He did it for us to save the world from our vanity, our futility, our frustration. That, my friends, is how the Bible treats the topic of frustration. On the surface, it may seem that things are empty, but God is giving them meaning. On the surface, it may seem that things are nothing but pure, pointless, random evil. But God is turning them to good in ways we can't always see. How do we know? The cross of Christ. So we have the material, we have the spiritual, we have the practical. And now we have the biblical answer to the problem of pain. How do we decide between them? That's the question. Well, I think, there are two, I think there are two questions to guide us. Is it true? Does it work? Is it true and does it work? The material vision, is it true? I think we have to say, on the basis of our human experience, we have to conclude otherwise. Everything that is essential to what it means to be human, the fact that we are 
personal and verbal, and we have this profound capacity for love. The fact that we have a deep universe, universal sense of wrong and right, and we just can't seem to shake it. All of that suggests that we are more than matter plus time plus chance. If you, if you trace the material story back to its beginnings, back to its origins, what you have to get is life from non-life. You have to get something from nothing. Now, secular scientists, secular scientists agree that the probability of that is zero, right? It is not statistically different from zero. So, so what does Richard Dawkins do at this point? This is what he does. He imagines a set of parallel universes, but the set is infinite. And because the set is infinite, there has to be one universe. There is bound to be one universe because there's an infinite set in which life emerges from non-life. I'm going to leave you to decide how plausible that sounds. Second, does the material story work? Well, there are very few consistent materialists. I know of none. Because if you believe that we are nothing but matter plus chance plus time, then there's no basis for right or wrong. There's no basis for significance. There's no basis for meaning. There's no basis for value. And that is a very difficult set of convictions to live out. Jean-Paul Sartre was probably the leading 20th century materialist thinker. And on the one hand, he advocated for child adult sexual relationships, adult-child sexual relationships. On the other hand, he, he argued against the French occupation of Algeria. In both cases, we might put it to him, but why are you arguing if things just are? If things can never be right or wrong, good or bad? The spiritual view, is it true and does it work? I think the evidence shows, I think, Many on this call this evening would bear testimony that there is spiritual power in the universe. Does it work? Well, again, I think the witness of many would be that it does. It does work. It does relieve this or that frustration, at least for a time, for a time. But it doesn't solve the frustration behind the frustration. It doesn't solve the problem that life always tends towards frustration. No matter how many rituals we participate in, no matter how many sacrifices we offer, if you take the Western brand of spiritualism, no matter how many candles we burn, we always have to burn another one. And then we also die. We join our ancestors and become part of this endless wheel of frustration until in a few generations we drift into obscurity like everybody else. Believe it or not, the practical solution ends in much the same place. It doesn't deal with the basic entropy of life. The fact that things always tend towards breakdown. You fix your business, your marriage is in a mess. You fix your marriage, your finances are imploding. You can fix this or that, but you can't fix the system as a whole. You can't fix the fact that things keep breaking. And what about you? What if the thing that needs fixing is you? What if you are broken? How do you fix that? Because a broken tool can't fix itself. Why are we so frustrated? What do we do about it? Our culture offers us answers. I, 
I think it's not clear that those answers are either true or that they actually work. It's less than clear. And so perhaps this evening you can be persuaded to consider the biblical view. Is it true? The good news is that the objective truth of the Bible story is open to testing. You can look into it. Others have. Many, many skeptics across the ages have started out trying to disprove the Christian faith only to surrender to it. Do yourself a favor. Go and watch a movie called The Case for Christ. If nothing else, you'll find it mildly entertaining. If you find it somewhat intriguing, intriguing, then go and buy the book because the book lays out very systematically, very accessibly, the objective case for the Christian faith. The Bible is not hiding behind myth. It is not claiming to be anything other than historical fact and historical claims of that nature can be tested. Just think about the verses I read to you a little bit earlier. In them, we see concrete claims to an actual historical space and time human being called Jesus. And it gives us his zip code, his postal code. It says he's of Nazareth. It says he did miracles. That can be tested. It says he was crucified and was raised from the dead. That is an historical claim that can be tested. It makes a whole bunch of other historical claims, all of which can be tested by the ordinary standards of historical research. And I encourage you to go and do that, to look into it. What I suspect you will find is that the Bible is objectively true. And it's also subjectively true. It rings true to our ordinary human experience. The Bible doesn't dismiss our frustration as some byproduct of brain chemistry. It actually affirms our outrage. It says you are right to be frustrated. Things are not as they should be. And then it gives us reasons for our anguish. And it doesn't water it down. It faces up to the fact that we are the problem. We're frustrated because there is a perfect God and we've turned our backs on him. The Bible shows us that the origin of our frustration is our own choice. It's of our own choosing. It tells us the truth, however, the, however ugly the truth may be. And I can't tell you how thankful I am that it does that. So I don't know about you, but I don't want any more of this Disney self-esteem stroking, you are so wonderful candy floss because I just know it's not true. I know it's not true. So I don't want it. I don't want to be patronized in that way. I'm talking about myself. Give me the truth. But the truth can be crushing. So we need more than the truth. We need hope. And God gives us hope. Because even though we have abandoned him, he refuses to abandon us. More than that, he is actually able to turn our evil into good. And he does it at the cross of Christ. We are reconciled to God so that we can face our frustration because we know it doesn't all end in futility. It doesn't end in a life of endless frustration apart from God. 
it's true. At least, at least that's the case I'm putting to you this evening. It's true. Does it work? Ask the person who invited you. The witness of the Christians I know, and I've spoken to many of them over this intensely frustrating period. You've heard Rangani this evening. The witness of the Christians I know. The common theme is that they have been able to take enormous courage and comfort, even in this season of enormous frustration, because and only because they rely on a God who has the power to turn evil to good and is loving enough to want to do it. And he will do it for you this evening if you will let him. Thanks, Reg. Uh, thank you, Rodin. Uh, I think this is a, a good time for us to end on. Um, so there will be no Q&A today. Um, the plan was to end from, by, by hearing from God's word. And uh, so, yeah, thank you for that, Rodin. Um, just uh, before I uh, pray for us to end our evening, just a few things to bring to your attention. Like I said earlier, this is our last night uh, of this What's Your Story evenings. Uh, but uh, as you would know, uh, we are getting back to um, physical meetings this coming Sunday. There's a link that has been sent out uh, for you to register. And just to remind you that uh, the, the, the day when the registration closes is this coming Friday. So please, if you wanna make your way to the service, uh, there's about a hundred people who have actually just registered for, for it so far. So please just uh, go and register, get others um, um, that are part of your community to do so as well. Uh, and what I'll do right now is uh, once again, thank uh, Rangani, uh, thank Gavin for his story. Uh, thank um, Jason who isn't here with us. And of course, uh, um, Rodin for bringing us God's word. Uh, and thank you for joining us tonight. Let me just pray for us as we end up our evening together. Uh, Father, we praise you that uh, as we were reminded tonight uh, um, that you are a God who is able to turn evil uh, for good and that ultimately you did that at the cross uh, and that Lord, uh, when we uh, are frustrated, when we even see the frustration arising from us uh, and our sinfulness and just uh, the very fact that we've turned away from you, um, Lord, I do pray that uh, the cross would be where we turn to. Uh, the cross would be where our hope is, uh, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, uh, but that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus would be a great reminder to us that uh, there is a God who sits on the throne and, and, and is in control of this world. And as we were reminded, he's able to turn evil for good. And this we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.